I just thank you um, again for this opportunity that we can sing to you, that we can worship your name, Lord. God, for so many of us, um, I feel like we can be in just a constant place of feeling stuck. Um, stuck in our circumstances, stuck because of finances, stuck because of marriage issues, whatever it might be, Lord. God, I know that it can seem hopeless in those situations. It can seem like there's no way out. So God, I pray that during this sex song, would you just remind us 
that all of the answers to our problems, everything that is the solution to this thing that we've made or created or are experiencing, Lord, is you. And God, I pray that as we sing these words, Lord, that you can begin to just meet us where we are. You can begin to just find yourself in our circumstances, in the middle, in the midst of it all, Lord. And Father God, I pray that you would remind us that no matter what, you are going to be there with us through it all. Help us to fix and focus our eyes on you so that we can see that no matter what, you are here.
Sunday. I am so excited uh, to talk to you today about what God has laid on my heart this week. So uh, we've been in this series called Change for Good, uh, and we partially started this series because we saw a lot of change for bad, and we wanted to counteract that, and partially started this series because we were at the midway through uh, the year here, and we really thought it was a good time to talk about change, especially this year. We wanted to do a little 2022.0, right? Let's forget the first half of the year and focus on what's coming uh, let's do some New Year's type change uh, in the middle of the year, a little January in July. So uh, that's what we've been talking about, change, change, change. And today I wanted to talk to you about the potential in change, uh, the possibility that change can unleash. You already know that change does something, but I'm talking about not just the immediate, but more uh, the long term, the dormant power that change can release in your life, the, uh, the way that change can kind of set you up for breakthrough later in your life. So before we jump in, pray with me. Jesus, uh, so grateful uh, for what you've, you've done in my heart this week. Lord, I pray uh, that what you've done uh, in my heart, that you would, you would just multiply that out, that you would uh, have those light bulbs go off, that, that fire light in people's hearts uh, as they hear your word today. Jesus, uh, in your name I pray. Amen. All right, so uh, I want to look at one of the most famous stories in the Bible, easily top five, the story of David and Goliath. A uh, story so iconic it's become cliche even outside of Christianity, right? It's the quintessential underdog story. Long before Rudy, long before Rocky, there was David walking across a valley to fight a giant. So uh, the scene is you have the Israelite army on one side, you have the Philistine army on the other, you have a valley in the middle, and the Philistines send out this giant, this nine-foot-tall giant named Goliath, and he's issuing this challenge to uh, the Israelite army. He wants to decide the battle uh, through single combat. Uh, rather than everybody fighting, just, you know what, we'll send our best guy, you send your best guy, whoever wins that, you know, the opposite army 
surrenders. Uh, of course, he said it a lot meaner than that, right? He was throwing insults at Saul and at God, questioning a lot of people's manhood, a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, so that's what's happening here. And, and David arrives, arrives on the scene. And honestly, David's not even supposed to be there, right? He's only showing up to battle because his dad told him uh, to bring bread and cheese to his brothers. Bread and cheese. He's basically a glorified pizza delivery guy. Um, so he's bringing pizza to the front lines of this uh, standoff. And David's job, just so you know, David's not a pizza delivery guy. David's job is that he's a shepherd. He's not a soldier. He's a shepherd. And um, here he is showing up, and he sees this go down, and he volunteers to fight the giant. Uh, which is interesting because Goliath's challenge is, hey, you send your biggest, baddest guy because I'm, I'm Philistine's biggest, baddest guy. You send yours, and, and we'll fight. Um, so if Goliath's Philistine's biggest, baddest, baddest guy, who's Israel's? Well, we actually know that. The biggest, baddest guy in Israel is actually King Saul. Um, we were told earlier in Saul's story that he's head and shoulders above everyone in Israel. So, so while Goliath is Philistine's giant, Saul is Israel's giant. But Saul shirks the responsibility. So every time that giant comes out to issue the command, I think everybody's eyes go down the line over to Saul, and Saul just kind of backs up slowly, and he doesn't want to face the giant that he should be facing. So as Saul steps back, David steps up, which is... Uh, kind of a foreshadowing of their entire story. It's a microcosm of everything that happens really for the next couple of decades. Um, and by the way, just a little note here. David shows up and he volunteers to take on this giant. If you want to get noticed in your life, man, uh, volunteer uh, to take responsibility, not leadership. Don't, don't ask for leadership. Don't ask for a position. Ask for responsibility. Uh, ask to solve a problem, right? David didn't ask for power. He didn't ask to be general or to be captain. He asked to go fight somebody. It's such a better way to, to increase your leader, leadership, increase your influence when you say, you know what, I'm going to ask for responsibility. I'm not going to ask for a position. I'm not going to ask for, for some title. I'm going to ask for responsibility. That'll make an impact in your world. So David does that. He volunteers. Uh, and we're, we're going to skip over a lot of details. I'm sure you, you know a lot of the details here. We're just going to jump right to right before the battle. First Samuel 17 verse 40. Uh, he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff sling, uh, he started across the valley to fight the Philistines. So all the details there are important. You have this, this moment before the battle where he goes and he's alone to the stream. He grabs these five rocks. He puts them in his shepherd's bag and then he walks off to face this giant. And uh, man, what a walk that had to have been as he walked across that valley. I'm sure the adrenaline was pumping. So Goliath sees him uh, and they have this little interaction. Goliath's a really good trash talker, man. He makes fun of David's weapon. Uh, he makes fun of the fact that David doesn't have a beard, uh, which I think is interesting. He's just kind of assuming that if you have a beard, you're more manly. I don't know. That's, at least that's what Goliath thought. Um, so, so David and him have this little interaction and then the battle begins in verse 48. Uh, as Goliath moves closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag, pulling out a stone. He hurled it with his sling, hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone, the stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So Goliath moves forward, and man, does it, what's your important detail? David runs towards the fight, slings a rock so hard 
that it cracks the giant's skull uh, and he falls to the ground. Uh, now, there's a part of the story that they kind of leave out in kids' church. You know, you know, every children's Bible that you've ever read does not have these next couple of verses in them. Verse 50, So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Uh, then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from the sheath, used it to kill him, and cut off his head. Uh, they try not to animate that part in the children's Bible. So in verse 50, David did not have a sword. And then in verse 51, he does have one. He, and he uses it to finish off Goliath. Now, drop down to verse 58. Again, kind of a morbid verse, but there's some important details. I'm trying, uh, we're kind of collecting the story here, and then we're going to look at it from a distance. Um, verse 58, David took the Philistine's head to Jerusalem, uh, but he stored the man's armor in his own tent. So uh, David takes this giant head to the capital city, uh, which is weird. I, I think it's like a symbol of victory or something like that, but that would just be a weird interaction. Like David walking up, what you got there, David? Like, I don't know, smoothie? Well, no, it's a giant head. Um, that's just weird. Uh, but I guess an important thing to take the head to show everybody that he did it, and then he takes the armor to his tent. Right uh, now, the armor was huge. If you look at the details, I mean, it was like a bronze, weighed a ton, so it was very valuable uh, spoils of war that he got from uh, this fight. But notice, it doesn't say what he does with the sword. We know where the head went, we know where the armor went, but we don't know where the sword went. So we have to jump way ahead in the story. So Saul and David actually end up becoming enemies, at least for Saul's part. The king of Israel uh, really dislikes David. It's it's jealousy that really uh, springs this bitter root in Saul's heart, starting really with this Goliath story. I think that was the beginning of Saul being jealous and, and starting to hate David. So Saul just repeatedly tries to kill David. So David is on the run. He is running from Saul and he comes to this town called Nob, which is actually where the Ark of the Covenant is at the time. The temple was not built yet, so they got the tabernacle going on. And uh, this is where David goes, to the place of worship. So when David's in trouble, he goes to church. I think that's a good uh, lesson for us to remember. Smart move. Uh, and he talks to this priest named Ahimelech. Uh, who, and the priest feeds him, gives him some bread. And then David has a question for him in uh, chapter 21, verse 8. Do you have a spear or a sword? The king's business was so urgent, I didn't have time to grab a weapon. So, so David's on the run, and we, I just got to be honest with you here. David lies uh, to the priest. He tells the priest that he's on a mission from the king, when in reality he's running from the king. Uh, but, but the fact that he was in a hurry is very true. Uh, he did not have time to grab a weapon. He, he was running so fast from Saul. He was so worried for his life that he didn't have a time to grab a weapon. So he asked this priest, hey, do you guys got anything here? And in verse 9, he answers, I only have the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Allah, the priest replied. It's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. Take that if you want it, for there's nothing else here. There is nothing like it, David replied. Give it to me. So there's the sword. There's the sword. The sword is in the tabernacle. So, so now we find out that David gave the sword to God. Uh, when he won this battle. And, and here now we have uh, later, years later, David, uh, in his great time of need, he finds a weapon he won in a past victory. His past faithfulness provides a present provision, uh, which is such an important concept. That, that's what I want to dig into today. This, this uh, past faithfulness providing a, a present provision. So um, it's July, right? 31 days in this month. Let's say someone came to you on the 1st of July and they gave you a choice. They said, hey, uh, you could either receive $100,000 every single day this month uh, or I'll give you a penny 
but this penny's going to double every single day. What would you choose? $100,000 every single day or a penny that doubles every single day? Now, the obvious choice is the 100000 right? I mean, it's a quick, approximate, you don't have to be very good at math to, to know that that's going to end up around $3 million, right? You, you, you don't have to be very good at math to know that. Uh, pretty sweet deal, right? And, and the other obvious thing is that you'd have $100,000 in your hand right now. The other option, just kind of ding, oh, penny, that's all you get. Um, the penny is just less appealing, you know, because it's a penny. The outcome of whatever that was offered is harder to see. And so day two, you know, you have two pennies now. And the other guy who took the 100000 next to you, he's got $200,000. So you're feeling pretty stupid even after day two. And if you'd taken the penny 14 days in, you still wouldn't have broke $100. Now, the person who took $100K, uh, they'd be sitting at about $1.4 million, but you'd have $81.92. Be feeling pretty dumb right about then, right? It wouldn't be until eight, day 18 that you broke 1000 and today's July 19th, you'd have $2,621.44. You'd finally uh, make it to 10000 on day 21. Day 21. You'd have 10000 which seems like a lot, except for if you'd taken the 100 k you'd be at $2.1 But man, those last 10 days, those last 10 days are key. Because if you choose the $100,000, you end up with $3.1 million. But the penny, if you've chosen the penny that's going to double every single day, on day 31, you end up with $10,737,418.24. Keep the change, right? That's some compound change right there. And, and that's the idea, man, of this, this compound interest is so powerful. It's sneaky, but it's powerful. You don't see the effects right away, but it's, an, in the end, overwhelmingly awesome. And I think this is such an important principle that I want you to see that change in your life kind of works the same way compound interest works. If you look at David's life, it ends up being the result of the compound interest of the good decisions that David makes. The events of David's life don't happen in isolation. They don't happen independent of each other. All his decisions are connected, whether he realized it at the time or not. And not just uh, good decisions having an immediate effect, but good decisions having a long-term effect that he never would have guessed when he made the good decision. So, for example, what was David doing right before he fought Goliath? You know this. He was watching sheep, right? He was doing a shepherding thing. Now, the crazy part is that while he was watching sheep and then he gets sent to go bring you know, pizza to his brothers, uh, he was, at the time, already he had been anointed king of Israel. At that time, uh, so, so God had decided Saul was not a good king and he sent the prophet uh, Samuel to uh, anoint David as the new king of Israel. And so David's king and he knows it and he knows it. Um, but when dad says, hey, David, go watch the sheep. David says, yeah, okay, dad. Even though he, got, he still got the oil on his head and his, his hair still wet from the oil that was put on his head that anointed him king of Israel, when dad said, go watch the sheep, David said, yes, sir. The would-be king watching sheep. Now, this is important. See, David didn't let a calling in his future stop him from being faithful in his present. 
He didn't let big dreams out there stop him from doing small things right here. Uh, he didn't get so caught up in where he was going that he lost sight of where he was. That wasn't David. And, and now keep in mind, this, this, now that's respectable by itself, but this is so, so, so important. When David showed up uh, to the Valley of Elah with bread for his brothers, what, what else did he have on him? Yes, he had bread. Yes, he had cheese. But what else did David have on him? Remember when he went to go pick up those stones, one of which would be the one that ends up lodged in Goliath's forehead? What did he put those stones in? It was his shepherd's bag, right? It was his shepherd's bag. The stones he would use to win the battle that launched him into the next season of his life were put in a bag he only had because he was faithful in the last season of his life. David could have said, I mean, the moment he was anointed, he could have said, listen, guys, I'm your king now, right? I'm your king now. I'm not doing all that no more. I'm putting this bag down. I'm done with this. Give me a scepter. Give me a crown. Give me a robe. I'm good. He didn't, though. He was faithful where he was, even though he knew he was headed to something bigger. The anointed would-be king had a humble shepherd's bag on him. And just think if he didn't. (laughs) He goes to collect those stones in that brook. Well, what's he going to do? Like Carry him out? You know, I got the rocks in one hand, the sling in the other. You go walk out, talk to Goliath. You know, the battle starts like, oh, hold on, big guy. I got to get, get my rock in here. Like, no, you, he couldn't have done that, right? The bag was almost as important as the sling. It was kind of like his clip to his gun. He actually needed something from the last season of his life in order to launch him into the new season of life of his life. He had, if he had not been faithful in the last season, he would have showed up day one to the new season unprepared for what would have come. And by the way, just think about this. They're not related, right? I don't think David was, was sitting here going, you know, I think the shepherd bag is probably going to help me kill a giant one day. Like, right? There's no way he could have possibly known that that faithfulness in that thing was going to be one of the keys to him being launched into the new thing. And maybe that's where you're at. Maybe this, this season of life that you're in right now, you just can't see what God could possibly do with what you have and, and what you're doing. But man, if you're faithful... If, if you do what God wants you to do in this season, if you honor God in this season, He will use it in ways you never could guess in the next season. So just watch that, th- you know, that thing you do where you start fantasizing about the place you aren't and you kind of forget where you are. Do you ever do that? Like, watch that because that'll ruin this. That you, you need some things in the season that you're in right now. If you're single right now, God's doing some stuff in your heart that you're going to need when you're married. If you don't have kids right now, God's doing some stuff in your heart that you're going to need when you do have them. If you're in your starter job right now, man, God's doing something in you right now that's going to, you're going to need when you get that dream job. Don't despise where you are right now to the point that you miss that something that God's trying to do right now. Be faithful in those small things. God will multiply those things into big things. Honor God in this season. He'll use it to launch you into the next one. A shepherd's bag helping take down a giant. The shepherd's bag was kind of like a penny with compound interest, right? You would have never guessed this little tiny thing would help him do that big thing. But it's just, this is just the beginning for David. Um, But this is kind of the way David's life works. It's this crazy compound interest as he goes. And it continues, right? Because David didn't have to fight Goliath, by the way, right? He could have totally shown up and said, you know what? Not my giant, not my problem. Have fun, guys. I'm out. By the way, tell me when Saul's dead because I'm king. Like he could have done a lot of that, but he didn't, right? He went up, he fought, and he won, and he ended up on the other side of battle with a giant head, which is kind of useless, but a suit of armor and a sword. 
And we know he took that giant head to Jerusalem, and, and, and maybe it was more important than we're realizing, because that was proof that he had killed a giant, and it was the thing, the symbol of victory, that launched him into this career, uh, this, this new path that he gets put on. And we know where he put the suit of armor in his tent. But what did he do with the sword? The sword he gave to God. God gives him a great victory over Goliath, and as a result, he gets these spoils of war, this incredibly valuable set of armor, and this legendary sword. And he looks at this pile of, of, of stuff that God has given him, and he decides, you know what, I'm going to give a portion of this back to God. God, you gave me all this. You were the one who directed that stone at that giant's forehead. So you know what, I'm going to give a part of this back to you. And how important that was. Think about this. David received the sword he would need in chapter 21 because he took it from Goliath's hand in chapter 17. But that's not the only reason he got it in 21, right? If he had kept the sword in 17, he would not have had it in, in chapter 21. The sword that was put into David's hand in 21 is not just because he took it out of Goliath's hand in 17. It's because somewhere in between those two, he put the sword into God's hand. Think about that. What if David had, had got this pile of the spoils of war in front of him and said, you know what, I earned that. I was the one who stepped out and fought that giant. It took a lot of courage to walk out there. And you know what, I practice with my sling all the time. Thank you, God, for being here. But, you know, I'm really good at this. Like, what if he had just decided I earned that? That's mine. And he just kept it. Well, guess what? If he had kept it, he still wouldn't have had time to grab it. When he was out. And then when he would have showed up at the town of Nob and that priest would have been standing there and David's like, hey, you guys got like any weapons here? The priest would have said, no, man, here's some bread. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I got. I don't have a blade. I got bread, though. Um, if he hadn't given in one season, he wouldn't have received in the next. David's generosity in one season had a great effect on his provision in the next season. See, and, and when you give to God, it's, it's about two things. And David was so good at this. He's such a good example of this. It's about honor and faith. Honor and faith. You honor God by acknowledging that you didn't get this on your own. Right? You are making a statement saying, God, I know you are the source of all good things in my life. And I honor you by giving you the first fruits of what you've given me. So David looks at this armor and this sword, and he says, man, that sword, that's God's. That's God's. So he honored God by doing that. And then it also express, it expresses faith, because you're saying that you trust God as your provider. You're giving back to God, saying that you are not your provider. God, you are my provider. You're trusting him to take care of, care of you and your family, not your own sweat, not your own smarts. You're trusting God and you're saying, I'm going to give a part of what you've given me back to you because I'm trusting that you're going to keep providing for me. And this idea continually plays out in David's life. David honors God and God honors David. David gives to God and God takes care of David. So what does this look like for you? Do you honor God in your life? Do you have faith in God in your life? And of course you want to say yes to that, right? Yes, I honor God. Yes, I have faith in God. But what if we just used your, your bank account as the only evidence for that? What would the answer be then? And what if, what if that's like your next step? What if, what if that's the thing that God wants you to do in this season? Honor Him, have faith in Him uh, in that area of your life. Because man, I tell you what, it would really suck to get the next season and not have something you need because you hoarded this season wouldn't it? It would really suck to get to the next season and lack provision because in that season because you lack generosity in this season. David's life 
uh, is this result of the compound interest of these good, God-honoring, faith-filled decisions in his life. And it just goes crazy. That, that J exponential curve happens in David's life because he starts off watching sheep and he ends up the greatest king who ever served in Israel. That is a crazy compound interest in a person's life. It didn't seem like being faithful with that shepherd's bag would help take down a giant, but it did. It didn't seem like giving that sword to God was a smart financial decision, but it was. Your faithfulness in one season will affect what your next season is like. The change you make now will be a catalyst for bigger changes next season. And if you don't make those changes, you'll be missing something that you need and possibly forced to take another lap around that same track again. And think about that. Like, what if God's just waiting for you to, like, make that change, to make that decision, to do that thing, to make that sacrifice? And the moment you do, man, you're going to get that, that open gate out into the next season. But if you keep saying no, you just keep going around. Okay, take another lap. Oh, you still haven't learned it yet. Take another lap. Like, what if that's really why you're stuck? Because if you don't have the shepherd's bag, you don't beat Goliath. And if you don't beat Goliath, you don't get the sword. And if you don't give the sword to God, you're not going to give it back. You're not going to get it back when you need it. So C.S. Lewis says it this way. And I promise, by the way, just, you know, I don't do this on purpose. I'm just reading and researching. And I'll read a quote and I'm like, wow, that's really good. Who wrote that? C.S. Lewis. Every time. I don't know. It's just freaky. Here's what he says. Good and evil both increase at compound interest. That is why little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. An apparently trivial indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge or a railway line or a bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack otherwise impossible. So C.S. Lewis is making the point that actually this goes both ways. The compound interest of your decisions can go in the positive direction or it can go in the negative direction. What's the direction? Compound change. The change you make today will have a magnified effect the further you get out from it. So one of my favorite parts of this story is that David ran towards Goliath. Partially because it, it, like all of it's crazy, but that part to me is, is the craziest. I just don't think that would have been my instinct. Maybe I would have felt the conviction of God to, to fight the giant. Maybe I would have worked up the courage to say, oh yeah, I'm going to go do this. But I promise you, when I'm on that field, I'm not running towards him. If I'm fighting a giant, I'm, I'm dancing a little bit, right? We're, we're going we're gonna to take a couple laps around the ring. I'm going to watch you and see your fighting style, watch some moves you're going to make. Like, I am not running towards you. But David runs straight towards this giant. And I think that's one of those things we can learn from that, too. I think some of you make, you make change too slow. You hesitate, you calculate, you aim, 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 and you never pull the trigger. You give yourself time to talk yourself out of the thing that God wants you to do. Run towards it. you got a giant. You know God wants you to fight it. Run towards it. Fight the thing. Because, if man, if you know that God's calling you to it and you're just hesitating, nothing good will come while you're waiting. Nothing good. The other detail I love is that David was the only one willing to fight the giant. Like, I don't know. I, again, I just try to imagine like thousands of men, you know, and they're no slouches. You know, these are, these are men with beards. These are men with armor. These are men who are grizzled veterans. And they're all saying, well, that's not a good idea. And here he is walking out there 
everybody's going, that's not, no, don't do that. That's bad. You're going to die. Like everybody. And there had to have been some, and you, get, you don't get that internal monologue in the Bible, but man, I wonder if he wasn't going, are they like seeing something I'm not? Like, is this, is this, is this stupid? Am I about to die? Like, you just wonder if all that's not happening. But the, the thing, again, that just continually plays out in David's life is that if you want the results that no one else is getting, you got to be willing to do what no one else is doing. If you want the results that no one else is getting, you got to be willing to step out onto a field that no one else wants to step into. <laughs> so, so if you want a marriage like nobody else is having, you got to be willing to do some work that no one else is doing. If you want kids like no one else is having, you got to be willing to parent like no one else is parenting. If you want finances like no one else has, you got to be willing to make some tough decisions that no one else is making. If you want to be like David, guess what? You're not going to be like a lot of other people. He's pretty rare. And I want to be like David. So be faithful in those small things. You'll need that shepherd's pouch in the next season. You're going to need it. Be courageous. Fight that giant no one else wants to fight because that's going to be like the entryway into the next season. And then be generous. You better give that sword to God because he'll give it back to you when you need it. So listen, Jesus did not die in your place for your sins just so you could live this life running around that same track, that same lap, again and again and again. Jesus does not just want you to change. He wants you to experience compound change. Change built on change, on change, on change. And over time, you won't even recognize you because that's what Jesus wants to do. When David thought back, oh man, I can't believe how long ago it was when I was sitting in that field watching those sheep. He couldn't even recognize himself. And that's what God wants to do with you. But it all starts right here, right now. Will you recognize the season you're in and the impact it's going to have on the next one? Pray with me. Jesus, uh, I just love, uh, I've always loved David's story, Lord, and the more I dig into it, the more details I see, and I pray that we would see the way his life plays out is the way you want to work in ours. I pray for that person right now who's struggling to be faithful where they are, Lord. I pray that they would have a renewed strength to be faithful right where they are, even if it's not glamorous, even if it's not where they want to be, even if they have uh, a big dream that has been laid on their heart by you, I pray that they would be faithful right where Lord, I pray for that person who's facing a giant and who's hesitating, hesitating, hesitating. Lord, I pray you'd give them the courage, the boldness to go fight, to run towards the battle line. And Lord, I pray uh, as we all sit here with a pile of the spoils of war of what you've given us, Lord, that we would be uh, uh, in that place where we would honor you and have faith in you to give a part of that back to you so that we can have provision from you when we need it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.